think there are a few folks glad to be back in the church house this morning, sounds like. Welcome, welcome, and his name is worthy to be praised. If you just need to come up with a good word that is a powerful word, you use that name, that name Jesus. It's the greatest prayer that we'll ever pray because it is the name of the one who has all authority and who has all power. And his name means rescue. His name means deliverance. His name means victory. So we speak his name often around here and with, with lots of joy in our hearts. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to invite those of you who are in the San Antonio area back to church at Alamo City, as you would feel led to, to do. And in our services, we come, uh, folks come masked up and scatter out, but when you're in here, if you want to take those things off, I guess you could, as long as you sit next to folks that, that uh, you trust, which I hope would be anybody you're sitting next to around here. We haven't, we haven't opened the uh, child care part of our ministry back up quite yet. We're going to give that just a little bit more time and see how, how things work out. But the Lord is taking care of us. Can I get a witness to that? He's, he is. He's, he's answering our prayers, and he's raising folks up and out of this virus, and, and uh, he's doing some things in our hearts. Uh, he, he, just, he just really is. I want to say thank you again to every one of you, uh, both here locally, but also scattered all over the place where our streaming family um, connects on these Sunday mornings and then during, during the week. Your prayers, your encouragement, um, you know, I, again, I don't get a whole lot of uh, amen and back at me, particularly in that early service, but there, you, you watch, I know you watch, and you pass that back in. The Facebook folks send that on to me, and, and, I, and I'll hear see these amens and preach it, preacher, and stomp your foot some more pastor, and those kind of things that just help this country preacher keep keep going so thank you for your encouragement and especially do we also want to thank you for your financial support during this season it's it's amazing how the lord continues to meet needs we have folks literally around the world that um, are counting on um, what will come through as offerings and gifts through alamo city to help those ministries where they are around the world as well as locally and and um, we're just so grateful. Thank you for what you're, you're doing financially. Thank you for what you're doing as you pray. And we're, we're just, we're, we're going to get through this, and we're going to be stronger, cleaner. We're, we're going to have more of a sense of the Lord's presence, even in difficult times, again, in our nation. Uh, he is with us, and, and he hears our, hears our cries. Amen. Now, there's a prayer in my heart. If I don't pray it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be hurt up here. I've got I to get this out, all right? So if you're just, wherever you're sitting, if you want to open your hands up with me before the Lord or just get on your knees, whatever is your posture of prayer, let, let's go to the Lord this morning. Lord, we, we look to you at this hour in our nation. We look to you as our King, as our God, as Lord, Master, Sovereign, our Shepherd. We thank you, Lord, that our lives are in your hands and we trust you. We pray for your blessing. We pray for what the United States of America needs at this time, and you know what we need the most. So we ask you to bless us 
with what you know we need the most. We ask you to turn our heart as a nation back to you. We ask you to raise up the leaders that need to be in place. We ask you to remove the leaders that don't need to be in place. We ask you to bring forth a godly sense of conscience in our country and that you will turn so many, many hearts unto Jesus. Not just God in general, not just religion in general, but Lord, would you gather the attention of the nation? Would you, would you command an audience, the Lord Jesus Christ, commanding an audience with the hearts of our, of our people in this country, we pray. And then, Lord, and beyond, beyond that, I, this morning, just ask you to speak your word, speak your heart of restoration. What kind of restoration you do when you take someone who has failed, someone who has disappointed themselves, but who loves you and you love them and how you can bring restoration to that life. Lord, that's what we pray for, your spirit of restoration to be poured out upon us and released among us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. I want you to find your way, if you would, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, first book in your New Testament, and find Matthew chapter 3, if you would, and one verse, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. Matthew is quoting a statement that John the Baptist made as he began his ministry and as he traveled throughout Israel, and mainly in that Jordan River area, on the outskirts of some major cities, preaching a message of repentance. And here, here is what he said. This is the theme of John the Baptist's message. Verse 11, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will baptize you. Who will, John? Jesus of Nazareth. Behold, the Lamb of God, he would say on the occasion when Jesus met him on the Jordan River as John was baptizing, he cried out, looked at Jesus as he saw him coming, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All right, that's the forgiveness part of the gospel. That's the blood of Jesus poured out to pay for your sins and my sins. That's one part of the gospel. But here's the rest of the gospel. Here is the other part of the gospel. It's more than forgiveness. It's power. It's power. Here, see again what John said. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. <laughs> and he will baptize you. He will drench you on the inside. He will saturate you with his spirit, and with fire. Folks, it doesn't matter how down we've, how far down we've gotten. It doesn't matter what has been arrayed against us and what we may been, have, have, have been put through in our lives. The power of Jesus Christ to drench your spirit with his spirit and with fire is our hope for restoration, our hope 
for a future, our hope for God to carry us into the rest of that which he had destined for us to become even before we were born. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus our Savior, Jesus the one who accomplishes our forgiveness. But then here is this, here is this second part. And it's sad to me how forgotten this part of the gospel is in the American church today. It, it's a, it, it's a, it is a source of real grief to my heart. We teach people where to go when they're guilty because we've all known that, have, have, have lived that. We need to be forgiven. We need to be cleansed. We need to have the guilt removed off of our lives. That is the message of Jesus. That is the message of Jesus. No matter what you've done, he has the power to wash you clean and forgive you and make you new and your record clear. Yes, Lord, thank you. But here is part two. And it's every bit as important as part one. It's that not only did he come to die as a sacrifice for our sins, but he came in order that you and I would know what it is to be filled with another spirit besides our own spirit, for there to be someone else who would come to live inside us, not just to be a, a dust-collecting trophy on a shelf in our lives, but to be an active, operative, one who is strong enough to change our motives, to clear up our, our, uh, our attitudes, to, to, to set us free from lies of the enemy, from the lies of the enemy. He has the ability, and his heart is. John said, this is how you're going to know you've met him. This is how you'll know you've met the Messiah. This is repeated in all four Gospels. John, John the Baptist says, here's how you'll know you've met the Messiah. I baptize you with water. I can get you sopping wet with your clothes and your skin, but there is one coming whose power is greater than my power, and he has the power to get you sopping wet with his spirit on the inside of you and to, and to clothe you with fire. Fire is an expression of life. Fire is an expression of wonderful power. Now, here, folks, when we get to talking about restoration and the ability that God has to bring a person back, to bring a person out of, of failure of, and, and disappointment in their own lives and maybe disappointment to others, restoration, it is about forgiveness, but it is about power. The Lord has the ability to restore someone who has fallen to a further place of effectiveness, not just because they're not having to carry the weight of their, the guilt of their sins with them, but it's because there was another dimension of strength working inside them that they didn't have before, that wasn't operative inside them before. So I want to ask the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today who would be listening, my brothers and my sisters, do you know him in forgiveness? Have you, have you been to the cross for the cleansing power, put your faith in his, in his ability to forgive you? But do you know him in his fullness? Have you ever been filled with his spirit? Do you, do, do you know what that's like? Do you know what that is? That there would be someone else, someone else literally alive with strength inside you, filling you with his power. Now, that, that's where the hope for restoration comes in. It's both. 
forgiveness and power. Forgiveness and power. Jesus did not just come to bring forgiveness. He came to bring power too. All right? So we, we, we start there. Now you look over uh, kind of across the page. If you've got a copy of the Bible like mine, this is chapter 4, verse 18. All right? Walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left the nets and followed him. And then they moved on and saw James and John, and they were given a similar call, given a similar invitation. But we begin here with, with Peter, with Simon Peter. Now go, go to chapter 14, Matthew 14, and look at that story, that account, starting in verse 13, Matthew 14, 13, where, where the 5,000 men are fed. Now there were women and children there, but for some reason they, they, they didn't count the, the women and children. They should have because... You know, I'm not going to say women can eat a lot, but I know kids can eat a lot. So when they're counting heads to mouths to feed, they, they probably should have added them in there. But that wasn't the custom of the day. Jesus saw that the group was vast, saw that the day was, was getting on and getting later, and he noticed that the, knew the people were hungry. And, and it was too far for them to to. to go to, the, to a nearby city or village to buy something to eat. It's going to get dark on the way. And, and he was concerned about them. So he says to the disciples, um, give them something to eat. Well, the disciples look around. They didn't have anything. They just might have had a sandwich or a biscuit or a tortilla in their, in their backpack or something. But they didn't have enough for 5,000. But they began to look, and they found, you remember that, that little boy that had the five loaves? and the two fish. Simon Peter, along with the other 11 disciples, watched Jesus take the five loaves and the two fish that that little boy had, turn his heart up toward heaven, ask the Lord's blessing upon the food, and he began to break the bread and keep breaking the bread. And then he started breaking the fish into pieces. And he kept breaking them. Right there in front of Simon Peter. His eyes saw it. A creation miracle. Repeated and repeated and repeated again. Enough for 5,000 men and all of those other folks to not just get a little bite. Not just, just a little crumb. But to get enough that they were satisfied. That they were full. He witnessed a miracle. Now, we're going somewhere with this. That wasn't the only miracle he witnessed. That's just recorded on this cha in this chapter in, in the Gospel of Matthew. But he witnessed a miracle. He saw the power of God. He knew Jesus was more than just a name, but that Jesus had power. Well, after the 5,000 had gotten fed, Jesus sends the disciples across the Sea of Galilee. He would meet them on, another, on the other side, and you remember this story, verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead on the other side while he sent the multitudes away. 
And after he had sent the multitude away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat with the disciples in it was already many stadia, good ways away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, middle of the night, middle of the night, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, and it had to be, got, he was real close to the boat, but he was out, not in the boat, he was on the water, because it was pitch dark. They couldn't have seen very far, and there weren't lights in the boat. When they saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened and saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. But Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And you know what Jesus said? Come on, Peter. Uh, he probably didn't say it exactly like that, but come on, come on, big boy. Come on, Peter. So he hangs that number 12 or that number 13 outside that boat, puts some pressure on the water. It holds him up, and he puts his next foot out there, walks to Jesus on the water in the middle of a stormy night. Well, he realized what was going on with him, took his eyes off Jesus, looked at the water in the ship, just as he began to sink. And then as he was going down, he cried out, you remember that, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out and grabbed him, picked him up on back of the top of the water. They walked back to the boat, got to the land safely. Now, what's the point of that? Not only had Peter witnessed miracles. He saw it with his own eyes, what Jesus was doing with the bread and what he was doing with the fish. But beyond that, Peter was the recipient of a miracle. A miracle had happened to him. Nobody had ever walked on water before that happened that night. Well, then you you keep you stay stay with him stay with stay with Simon Peter he's just doing so good Simon Peter is just knocking it out of the park we get to 16 chapter 16 verse 13 now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi he began asking his disciples saying who do people say that the son of man is and they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, to his own, to his men, well, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, and I also say to you that you are Peter, little rock, Petros, little rock, and upon this rock, this bigger rock of revelation of who Jesus is that he had stated you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon this rock, that declaration, that revelation to a person's heart, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, shall not overpower it. 
And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you shall bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you shall loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Simon Peter. It wasn't that the church would be built on him. It would be that the revelation that the Father gave to him would be the foundation upon which the church of Jesus Christ would be built. That Jesus is the Christ, the promised one, the Son of God, the Son of the living God. Well, it just looks like it couldn't get any better for Simon Peter. But I want you to turn over a few more chapters, if you would. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. It is coming time for Jesus to be betrayed, to be beaten and tortured and eventually crucified. To fulfill John the Baptist's prophecy, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It was necessary as the scripture teaches with regarding who Jesus was and what the Messiah would have to accomplish, that Jesus would die a sinless death. No sin in him. He would be dying not for his own sins, but for the sins of the world. He would be buried, and then he would be raised again on the third day. But that was news that was difficult for the twelve to handle. That they... They were not wanting Jesus to leave them, obviously. They, some of them had, had more of a political understanding that this is going to be the time when, when Israel will regain, regain its rightful place on the world stage, as in the days of David and Solomon. Is this the time, Jesus, they would ask him after the resurrection, that you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? And it wasn't about a political restoration. It wasn't about that. It was about the souls of men. So, so here, here they are getting ready to go out to the Mount of Olives, and the betrayal is at hand in the last hours, literally, of Jesus' earthly life. Look at, look at verse 30. This is Matthew 26, verse 30. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd." And the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter answered and said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night before a cock crows, you shall deny me three times. But Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Verse 69, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, Caiaphas' house, the high priest. Jesus has been taken under arrest. And a certain servant girl came to him and said, you too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were with him, 
This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath, in effect saying, I swear, I swear, I do not know the man. And a little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, surely you two are one of them, for the way you talk gives you away. He had the accent of a Galilean, not someone from Jerusalem. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a cock crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said. Before a cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, we're, we're, not, we're not gathering here today to walk all over Simon Peter and say, Simon Peter, how could you do such a horrible thing? We're here today because the truth is we understand. We understand what it can be like to find ourselves in a situation in a setting. It may be for a night, it may be for a week, it may be for a series of months, it could even be for a few years. But for whatever reason, the Jesus that I've known, the Jesus that I know has the power to do miracles because I've seen them, and the Jesus who has maybe in some, and in many cases perhaps, touched me, touched you, with a miracle. There's no reason I should still be alive. There's no reason that car shouldn't have crossed that median. There's no reason, there's no reason, there's no reason. But the Lord worked a miracle. I know He's real. I know Jesus is real. I know He has power. But the problem can be our stinking humanity. The Apostle Paul says, In my flesh dwells no good thing. There's a part of every Christian human being that is never going to behave, that is never going to love God, that is never going to really be able to believe God because it's that old man, the old woman. Jesus comes into our hearts so that there is a new presence, a new person, a new one living inside us But Galatians will say there's a war that goes on between the old man, old woman, and new man, new woman. There can be times when we find ourselves living in such a way that it is almost as if, if not entirely as if, we have denied the reality of Jesus in our life. Our language goes south. Our choices go south, our companionship becomes something that we had walked away from in times past, but now it's all back around us again, and it is as if we have denied Jesus, we've denied His name, we're living in such a way that people are being given more evidence to be convinced that we don't know Jesus than that we do know Jesus. 
I'm going to say to you, if you've been there, if you've lived in those places, you're not the only one. Sometimes at church we, we act as if those kind of things don't happen anymore or we're way beyond it or it's never touched us. The truth of the matter is that if the Apostle Paul can struggle with the old flesh rearing up in his, he wrote two-thirds of your New Testament. If he had struggles with it, then you and I can find ourselves beaten up with that. Find ourselves in the place of disappointing ourselves and disappointing the Lord. But here's the amazing thing. Here's the scripture. Thus saith the Lord. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins. If we say with God what God says about our sins. We quit calling it an affair. We start calling it adultery. We quit calling it a Saturday night binge. We call it drunkenness. When we get to calling it what the Lord calls sin, then there's amazing, it's amazing how the rest of that verse, if we confess our sins, say with God what God says about our sin, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins, listen, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful to do that. He doesn't have to become something that he's never been before. He's faithful. How is he faithful? He's faithful in that his love for you expressed on the cross where he died for you and for me, for our sins. He, he's continuing to live out that faithful expression of his love for us. It didn't start just here recently. It started before we were ever born, that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. He's the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. That he knew we were coming and he knew our sins and Jesus died for our sins. He's faithful and he is just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He's just in the sense that he's already paid the price. There doesn't have to be any double indemnity for the same sin. Jesus Christ suffered and died for your sin. I embrace what he did for me on the cross. He's faithful to me to forgive me. And he's just before God and before the bar of heaven when he releases me from my sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to release us from, to cancel the debt of, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. When, 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 when Peter left that moment and the scripture says he went out and he wept bitterly there was the sense the scripture writers and we pick it up later in other, in other themes that it was at that moment that Peter knew what he had done he realized the depth of wrong of that betrayal of the one whom he had seen miracles performed and from whom he had received the benefit of a miracle. And the one he had declared, this is the one we've all been waiting for. But folks, listen. You can see miracles. You can be the recipient of a miracle. You can declare that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the God, living God, and still end up in a place of denying him. What then? What then? What then? 
Did everything that Jesus had said about Peter and the importance of that confession and the fact that there would be things unlocked on earth because they've been, in, been unlocked in heaven and, and vice versa because of the life of Peter and the life of intercession that he and the church would enter into, does it mean that all of that was canceled out and Jesus ran to start over? No. <laughs> Nobody but God can restore, can restore, can restore, can restore like Jesus can restore. All right? Now, I want you to leave Matthew 26, and I want you to go with me to Luke chapter 22. Now, please listen. Please hold on to this. Luke 22, Simon, Simon, this is, this is another treatment of those last hours in Jesus' life, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Lord's Supper, Garden of Gethsemane, and then the cross. In that context, Luke records, verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, once you have turned again, Strengthen your brothers. And he said to him, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, with you I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. And then Jesus said, I say to you, Peter, the cock will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Simon, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. We have a hint as to what the sifting was all about in that Jesus said, but I have prayed for you that your faith, that your faith, what you have been persuaded of will not fail. It seems as if Satan, for whatever his reasons were, but working within and under the ultimate supervision and plan of God for Peter. Satan sought permission. He had, to, he had to get permission from Jesus to go after Peter. The enemy, now listen, please listen to this. Don't take this farther than I'm saying it. The enemy can be used by God for God's purposes in life. That, that, that's not the best plan, but when you're dealing with hard heads like you and me and Simon Peter, where we don't get the pastel colors, we don't get the soft little whispers, we need a two before upside the head sometimes, and then maybe we'll think God may be trying to say something to me. Satan got permission to arrange a perfect storm in Simon Peter's life. That would be worked out. The storm would hit at the time of Jesus' betrayal by Judas, arrest, and Simon shows up at the house of the high priest in the courtyard. And for whatever reason, the setting, the sounds, what he had seen and heard ended up absolutely terrifying him. 
paralyzing his faith in that moment. For the one who would say, I've seen 5,000 men fed from five loaves and two fish. I passed the bread out. I picked up what was left over. I know he can do it. And then he called me out of a boat. And I walked on water in the middle of the night and didn't get sopping wet. Tell me about that. And then I would also have to say to you, I know that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. All three of those massive elements of truth and data and information were not strong enough to keep him in the perfect storm from trying to rescue himself, save himself. If Simon Peter is vulnerable to those kinds of pressures, you are, I am, the church is. But what then? Did that mean that everything Jesus had said about Simon was going to have to be rewritten? All of the plans for Simon were going to have to be changed. He's going to have to Throw out the whole wad along with Judas and start over with a new batch. No. I want you to go to John, the Gospel of John, and the last chapter in the book of the Gospel of John. Now, on your way there, however, stop in John chapter 20. And look with me at verse 21, and then we'll get to the chapter 21. This is John 20, 21. Jesus raised from the dead. Calvary is in the past. Forgiveness has been accomplished. He's speaking to his men. Jesus, therefore, said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Oh, now wait a minute. Who are you talking to, Lord? I'm talking to Peter, who betrayed me. I'm talking to, or denied that he knew me. I'm talking to James and John and all the rest of them. From the heart of God to the ones who had failed. And the the rest of the group fled as well. Simon Peter's just noted because somebody overheard what he said and wrote it down. But the rest of the group fled also on the night of Jesus' arrest. From the heart of God to the ones who had failed him and disappointed themselves from the heart of God to them, here is the word peace to you. Peace. Heaven is not still angry at you. I am not still withdrawing my love from you. Peace. Peace be with you. And then he says, you talk about, you talk about the kind of restoration that only God can give when he says, as the Father has sent me, Even so send I you. Wait, wait, what are you talking about, Jesus? I'm talking about the future enterprise and expansion of the church. I'm trusting you men in the way that the Father has trusted me with the message of the gospel and the future and hope for ones who would put their faith and trust in me. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Well, what did Jesus know? What did he know? What kind of risk was he putting people, putting people in the presence of if he's going to send out somebody who under heat and under pressure denies him? 
How, how much of a, of a sense of loyalty to, to the power of the gospel could there really be in a man like Peter who chickened out when the, when the temperature raised up? What did Jesus know? Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you, verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Forgiven, reconciled, but he knew that which they did not have, they must have in order to fulfill the future that God had in mind for them, and that would be receive the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Who is the Holy Spirit? Paul helps us with that. Now, the Lord, the Lord Jesus is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We've been saying it for months around here. The invisible presence of Jesus is the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the invisible presence of Jesus. The Holy Spirit was not poured out in power until Jesus had been taken back up into the presence of the Father and exalted with all of His glory, all of His name, all of His honor. And from that place at the right hand of the Father, He poured out His Spirit on that day of Pentecost. And that was what Jesus knew was coming for Peter. And that's why he could speak with confidence about the future of Peter, the future of the apostles, the future of the church. It wasn't just that he would die for the sins of the world. That had to happen. But, but if there is no power given, then all we'll spend our time doing is going back to the Lord for more forgiveness. More forgiveness and more forgiveness because I can't break that which has caused me to need forgiveness. But here's the perfect solution. Yes, we're guilty. Yes, we've sinned. Yes, we've lived in seasons even of denial of the Lord. But the Lord's answer for that is his blood and his mercy. But his answer is also to fill you up <laughs> with his spirit and with fire. So that it isn't just you trying to copy Jesus. It isn't just you trying harder to do right. It is saying, Lord, fill me with your spirit so that out through my life, your power flows and who you are flows. It's all about changing our want to. Can I say that again? The filling of the spirit is all about changing our want to. It's all about changing our want to. One more time to this group. It's all about changing my want to. If my want to isn't adjusted, isn't changed, then I'm going to keep ultimately doing what I want to do. Therefore, I keep going back, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. I plead your blood. I clean. I, 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 forgive me. Wash me in the blood. And that's where we live our Christian lives, at the place of trying to get forgiveness all the time. Having forgotten the rest of the gospel, the rest of the good news. Sometimes it's never even spoken of. You bring up the subject of the Holy Spirit, and it's like those apostles of John, or disciples of John the Baptist in Acts 19. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Well, that is missing. That is missing the rest of the good news that Jesus came to bring. Not just that he forgives us, 
Not just that he releases us, but his desire spoken of what John prophesied, I baptized with water. The one who's coming will fill you, drench you with his spirit and fire. That is synonymous with the promise of the Father. We'll look at that in a minute. The Father promised it. Jesus picked up on it. John the Baptist has spoken it. And yet, yet we've, we, we've, we've got all of this church literature. We, we, we've got all of these, these teachings on, on how to live better and how to do right. We have all of this stuff. And there is an absence. There is an elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is the powerlessness of the American church. We can't quit chasing women. We can't quit going after pornography. We can't quit. List your poison. That's all about the absence of power. And so we spend our days running back, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. I'm guilty. Lord, forgive me. And there's mercy there. But, but the rest of the book, the rest of it is there's power in the name of Jesus to fill you with his spirit. We spend all our time trying to quit the sin and spend no energy on, Lord, I need your spirit. Paul would say, he would say, if by means of the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the flesh, Romans 8, you'll live. You'll live in abundance. You'll live in freedom. You'll live in victory. How do I do that? By means of the spirit's power, not my power, not me trying harder, but by the power of the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh that cause there to be sin that comes out of my life. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Where do you need freedom in your life today? I'm not just saying where do you need forgiveness. We know where to go to forgiveness. But where are you going for freedom? Where, where do you look for freedom? Do you understand that it's all a part of what Paul was saying? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who is believing, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Lord, I receive your mercy at the cross. But Lord, I, re I receive your power that you desire for me to walk in by the promise of the Father. All right, so, so we have... We have Jesus speaking those words, and you can read through that last part of chapter 21, where he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? You remember that encounter? Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? He uses the word, for, the word agape, meaning that the highest form of, of unselfish, sacrificial love. Do you love me more than these? Because he had just said, if everybody else checks out, I'm going to be there. If, if, if nobody's willing to die for you, I'm there. And where is he? He's gone. So Jesus, Jesus brings him back to that place. And evidently they walked off and John is following. So there's a group of three. And Jesus is asking Peter these questions. Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. But he uses the word love that means you're a good friend. I love you like a friend. I, I, I care about you like a friend. But then Jesus responds to that by saying, feed my sheep. Restoration. Feed my sheep. 
Then Jesus asks again, Peter, do you love me? He uses agape again. Simon Peter answers it with the friendship word again. I, Lord, you know I care about you as a friend. Jesus is saying, do you supremely love me? Do you care about me more than, than yourself, Peter? Do, do you, do you, do, are you willing to sacrifice? Do you love me in the way that would sacrifice for me? Well, Simon Peter knew Jesus, knew what he had done. Here's the good news. Simon Peter wasn't trying to blow smoke in Jesus' face. Well, sure, Lord, I agape you. His response was, the honest truth, Jesus, about where I really am, is that you're a friend. I, 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 can't, I can't promise you anything other. That, that, that's so good, folks. Satan would use whatever he would use to come at the place of pride in Simon Peter's life. Two places in the, in the New Testament, in, in James and in Peter, that same proverb that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The Lord can allow Satan to have permission to hit us at the places of our pride. And in his spiritual sense, I'm there, Jesus, you can count on me. Well, Jesus knew and the devil knew Peter couldn't stand the heat. So there was, there was a gap allowed for Satan to accomplish something in Peter's life. But the good thing about the accomplishing is that it brought Peter to the place of truth. Lord, if you don't help me love you, I won't ever be able to love you. That I'm a failure at that place. I'm a weak play person at that place. Jesus still responded, we'll feed my sheep ten by lambs, and he has those three lists. But the last one is Jesus switches over to Simon Peter's word. Peter, do you care about me like a friend? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I care about you as a friend. And Jesus at that place stepped into agreement with Simon Peter and continued the commission upon his life. Rejoice, and I believe there was just that sense in Jesus' heart. Peter understands. Folks, listen, anytime some young believer gets up and says, I'm going to follow God to the far places, I'm never going to give up, or because this has happened to me, I'm going to always be loyal. You know, you just, those who are old in the Lord just sit back and say, Well, let's just get a Coke and some popcorn and watch this movie play out. Because it'll come down to the place where even if the places that our intentions are so good, and there's a heart within us that wants to do that. We're, the enemy is arrayed against us. The, 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 we, we, don't, we can't do that unless the Lord gives us strength. Okay, so that's where the setup is made in Simon Peter's life. It's solidly etched within his heart like failures can solidly etch in your heart and my heart unless the Lord gives me strength Unless the Lord gives me power, there will be no change. I'll go back sooner or later to the same place I was, needing the same kind of forgiveness, unless there is power in my life. Well, folks, there's some maybe who are listening to me today. Maybe you were a teacher, maybe you were a pastor, maybe you were a leader in the church in, in, in different ways, and that season you love God, and even this day, this moment, you love the Lord. 
and his name comes up, and there's a, there, there's a, there's a tear in your eye, and, a, and the songs of the gospel come up, and you hear them play, and, and, and there's a, a lump in your throat. You love the Lord. But you remember the time when you blew it, when you failed. And I hope that you've from that place gone to the cross and you've confessed it and you've, you've found forgiveness. But here's what the sense can be. Because I did that. Because I was guilty of that. I can't ever be used again. Uh, there's, there's, there's nothing else for me to do. So, so we, we, we relegate our lives to, to just kind of a, an adjunct relationship with Jesus, with the church. But we, we've got to just go on. That was the end. This is who I really am now. Folks, this is, please, please hear this. Simon Peter fell on that evening for one reason and one reason only. And you or I, if in a moment, in an evening, in a season, we fell, we fell for one reason and one reason only. Simon Peter was not in that season filled with the Spirit of Jesus. You and I, in the places of our failure, step into those settings not filled with the Spirit of the triumphant Jesus, of the Jesus who has authority over Satan, of the Jesus who is able to, to, to turn a midnight into broad daylight, we're there full of ourselves. We're in that place full of ourselves. And as a, as, as a result, we are raw meat for Satan. But when we realize that was sin, that was wrong, Jesus forgive me then we also realize the rest of the gospel. The gospel is not just the bloody cross, as precious as the old rugged cross is. There is more. There is more. And the more is Jesus was raised from the dead. And his plan was to give to the church the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father was not Calvary. The promise of the Father was not the blood on the cross. The promise of the Father was the pouring out of the Spirit upon and into the church, Simon Peter being a leader. And as a result of that, he was changed. Just as the blood of Jesus can change you in the sense of the guilt being removed, so the filling of the Spirit of Jesus in your life can change you from the place of forever being victimized by sin into the place of freedom from sin. How about that? Well, what if the plan of God was not that we would continually, perpetually be coming to the cross, confessing the same sins four million times? We're never going to wear out the blood of Jesus. It's always going to be good. It's always going to result in our forgiveness. But what if the Lord has a better plan? <laughs> that he wants to give you power that breaks the power of that sin to rule you and dominate you and keep contaminating you. So that you're not having to spend all your time confessing. You can spend your time receiving. Lord, I receive your fullness. 
I receive the promise of the Father. I receive the filling of your spirit to live in me. I'm just telling you, we have had such an absence of the reality of the work of the Spirit in the lives of believers in this way, empowering us to live in victory, that when I say these things, it's almost like some folks hear this and think that I'm talking about some strange doctrine or some new something. That's why Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation, for rescue, for deliverance, for continued, sustained deliverance. All right. So you, you go to, you work your way through, find your way to the book of Acts. Gospel of Luke, I just, this Luke and then Acts, Jesus will say to the, to the apostles, Behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. What was the promise of the Father? The promise of the Father is that they would be clothed with power from on high. Why don't we bring that up? Why don't we talk about that? Yes, there's power in the blood. Yes, there's power in the cross. But that's not the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father that he makes to you is if you look to him and seek it from him, he will bless you with a clothing in power of the Spirit that will enable you to live a different life, a further life, a better life, a freer life in the power of the Spirit. So you go to Acts. Jesus says, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you shall be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost part of the earth. Now, you talk about a case study in a transformed life. You go from that, that section in Matthew 26 where we got this coward, afraid, dirty-mouthed Simon Peter denying that he knew Jesus to Acts chapter 2, Simon Peter. Something happened to Simon Peter. It was not a mental deal. It, it was not an academic deal. Something happened to him. The power of the Spirit of Jesus was poured out upon him. The rest, the 120 in the upper room, you know the story. They began to speak, and they, they're gifted to speak in language that they'd never spoken in before. In the power of the Spirit, declaring the great things of God. And then Simon Peter, the, the lead spokesman now, instead of the lead coward, filled with the Spirit of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, gives the explanation, offers what an explanation. He starts quoting Scripture. He quotes Joel. He doesn't have a scroll to read from. He doesn't have notes. The power of the Spirit put the Word of God in, in strength and in fluidity inside his life. And he said, this is what this is. It's the pouring out of the Spirit that Joel talked about. Well, how did he know that? Because Jesus had explained that to him. For 40 days, Jesus spoke of the kingdom. And then he ended up by saying, but you're going to receive power, and the power will be the Spirit, and this will be the fulfillment of what happened in, that Joel spoke of in those days. Well, then he goes on, and he, uh, uh, this, is, this is an amazing study. This Jesus, verse 32, Acts 2, 32, this Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. 
Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see in here, filling the ones who had before been afraid, timid, wondering what would go next, filled with the Spirit, and there's a boldness, there's a courage that they didn't have before. Now, just, just so that there's, we can kind of round this out and finish this up, turn to chapter 4. The, the same ones who were responsible for the arrest of Jesus, the religious leaders, Caiaphas, Annas, and others, and their, their, their family lineage, they had Peter and John arrested when the man, Peter said, silver and gold have I none such as I have given to thee in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. You remember that, Acts 3, verse 1 and following and the man went walking and leaping and praising God. A crowd gathered because they all knew the man. Peter began to explain that it was the power of Jesus flowing through him that healed the man. They preached Jesus and a bunch of folks responded to the message. The, the Jewish leadership got all jealous about it, had them arrested. In Acts chapter 4, verse 5, And it came about on the next day that their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there, Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. And when they had placed them, Peter and John, in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, here's that phrase again, filled with the Holy Spirit. Not filled with himself. If he was filled with himself, he'd be denying. He'd be, he'd be trying to get out of there. Because these were the same faces, the same men who had arrested Jesus and the ones in the presence of whom, in the, in the courtyard of whom, Peter had denied that he even knew Jesus. Now, instead of denying that he knew Jesus, he's bold as a lion, fearless in his delivery and, in, and convicted in his conclusions, and he's preaching to them. He's preaching to the ones who before had scared the liver out of him. How did that happen? What is that? Something had happened to Peter. Here's my question. Has that ever happened to you? Has that ever happened to you or me? If it is the promise of the Father, and if it is what John talked about in all four Gospels, I baptize you with water, but there's somebody coming who can fill you, baptize you with his spirit and with prayer. Why do we not passionately and earnestly seek that? Instead of relegating, well, that was just Peter, that was just Acts. No! That is the level Jesus intends his church to live at. Filled! with his spirit, absenting the filling of my spirit, and the replacement is the filling of his spirit. So uh, let me just read this, and I'll quite quit, try to quit hollering. It's hard to quit, quit hollering. This, this is so important. It, it's, it's so important. It's the elephant in the room. We've got buildings. We've got sound systems. We've got parking lots. We've got denominational names. We've got billions of dollars given to charitable causes. But where is the power of the New Testament church? Somehow we have thought that if I have enough Scripture in me, if I've had enough Bible teaching in me, if I go to enough classes, that that will be taking the place of New Testament filling of the Spirit, and it 
will not. There's no substitute for this. There's no substitute for this. Then Peter, verse 8, filled with the Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man had been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He, this Jesus, is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, and which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. What happened to Peter is the same thing that somebody will say, what happened to you? Used to be timid, used to be shy, used to be worried about everything all the time. Well, covered up and you're just buck, buckling from one temptation after another. And then this happens. Not just that you're forgiven, that's good. But the rest of the story is that the Jesus who died on the cross came out of the grave, went to be the right hand of his Father, and has poured out from heaven his Spirit. So that those of us who would be open to receiving the promise of the Father could live our lives not as orphans. Could live our lives not having to just go from one failure to another failure to another place of confession. But could go from one place to the next in the power, in the power of the Spirit of the risen Jesus. Where Paul would say, I can do all things through the one who is giving me strength. Present, active, indicative, is giving. Not gave it to me back then, and I, get, and I live off of that. No. But every day, every second, every minute, every night, he's giving me strength. The strength that I need. Now, that's the hope. That's the hope for restoration. The reason that Jesus could place the whole future enterprise of the church into the hands of these men is because he knew what was coming. He knew it wasn't just forgiveness. He knew it was power. And they would have power from the, from the Spirit of Jesus in them to rise above their natural innate weaknesses. So Jesus will say, if you then being evil, and finished here, Luke eleven thirteen. if you then being evil, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who are asking Him? We ask Him when we feel a lack, when we feel a weakness, when we sense a need for power. But if you're spending all your time trying to fight your temptations on your own, It'll end up just being one more place to have to go back and get spend another four hours of confession. But what if the rest of the gospel, that's every bit as clear as the blood and the cross and the lamb being slain, 
is the promise of the Father to fill you with His power such that there is the breaking of the power of sin off of your life and that there is the opportunity to live in freedom as He does that work on you want to, changing you want to, so that I get to do what I want to do, and what I want to do is right in the mind of God, in the heart of God. Okay. That's it. That is, folks, listen. That is the gospel. It is forgiveness, and it is power. Do you want just one, or do you want the full meal deal? Lord, I confess my sins. I ask you to forgive me. I receive your forgiveness through the death on the cross. Thank you for forgiving me. But now, Lord, I need your power to keep me from going back there. I need you to fill me with your strength, with your life. Fill me with your spirit. Give to me the promise of the Father. I'm talking to some folks that theologically you've just been messed up and, and, it, and it's moved you completely away from seeking the empowering of the Spirit because some have just said, well, it's always just going to mean this one particular experience. That's how you know you get filled with the Spirit is if you have the same experience that they had in, of the 120 in the upper room. Well, check this out. Check this in the Scripture. Not even the 3,000 who responded to the preaching on the day of Pentecost had the same experience that the apostles in the upper room had. They didn't all get languages. They didn't all speak with tongues. That was the demonstration of power for that moment in time, for the declaration of Jesus to be clear in the languages to all the people in that setting. But the 3,000, their manifestation of power was generosity and unselfishness and a hunger for the Word of God and the wanting to be together and the power like that. You, you take it over to Acts chapter 9 and Saul Saul of Tarsus, when he's, when he's interrupted by Jesus on the road to Damascus, and, and, and Ananias comes to minister to him, Ananias says, I've come that, that you may regain your sight, and so that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul, writer of the New Testament, missionary to the Gentiles, filled with the Holy Spirit. What's his manifestation of power? He just is so convinced that Jesus is the way and the truth that he leaves where he, had, where he was staying and he begins to teach in the synagogues about somebody that he just met on a road. There's no mention of a tongue in Paul's life at that moment. So lose that. Well, I just, I just don't know if I... Well, listen, you let God do what God wants to do in your life, but here's the, the bottom line question. Is there power? I got all this information but where's the power? Where's the power to quit what you know you need to quit? Where's the power to start and stay with what you know you need to I can do all things through the one who is giving me strength. I'm going to just say this. You can learn all the verses on self-control in the Bible and still not have self-control. You can learn all the verses in the Bible on forgiveness and still not have a working, forgiving heart. Those are functions and properties and easy things the Spirit of Jesus accomplishes in the life of somebody because that's just who He is. And His life, His Spirit 
begins to flow out the word. Lord, fill me. Jesus, fill me. That's the prayer. Jesus, save me. That's the cross. That's the mercy. Jesus, fill me. It's the promise of the Father. Why wouldn't you take the promise of the Father? But don't, don't mix it up. It's not the blood. It's not the cross. It's the filling of the Spirit. He wants to fill you. I told you I'd quit, and then I quit, and I kept hollering, Lord, will you, you are the only one who can press this into our hearts. But God, I ask you to do it. There's some that are dying in bondage, trying so hard. And the only hope for us to realize that we can't change ourselves. We can't fix ourselves on our own. But there is nothing that you by your spirit cannot do. So Lord, I ask you please, cause that cry to rise up in our hearts. Jesus, fill me with your spirit. Jesus, give to me the promise of the Father. Help me to know I trust, I believe, I open my heart up. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Please, answer that cry as our trust. We bless you for this word of hope and this word of restoration that we have had the privilege of declaring this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen and amen. And I just want to thank you for giving me the blessing and the privilege of being able to talk to you today. And those of you who aren't in this room, but you're listening, bless you. Thank you. Let, please, let's let this in. Let us hear from you. Facebook us, or what do you call that? Get, get, let, us, let us know how you're doing, if we can pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Amen.